Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and I'm talking about virtual events on episode 67. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601-564-8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. I know that the words virtual events probably get overused in this pandemic climate that we're in. It can mean anything from a live stream to a series of presentations to just something that you're doing at home that you would normally have done in person becomes a virtual event. And I know for the work that I'm doing, I usually do corporate golf outings as a big part of my schedule. And those are done in person with guests and cameras and things like that. And this year, we've converted to doing virtual events. I've talked about these events on the podcast many, many times, perhaps too much. For me, they're not as desirable for a number of reasons as the in-person events. For one, the budgets aren't as good. Um, The work is is really different, but it's sometimes more work. And you don't have any of the benefit of the social aspect, the camaraderie with the crew, you know, the meals, the drinks, the socialization aspect of it is lacking. So I'm not necessarily a fan of these. You do what you have to do, and that's what everyone is doing. I happen to be talking with the corporate person in charge of these events. And she was telling me that these events are such a pain in her butt to produce, to put on, to get people to even commit to attend them becomes tricky, which I suppose is a good thing because if she said, oh, these are so much better, they're cheaper, they're easier to do, we can do, we can do them, you know, at our disposal, I suppose that would be a bad thing long term for me. Um, But to hear that it really was a lot of extra work was a little surprising because you don't always think about all the back end pieces. This week, virtual events is in my universe, not just for things that I'm working on, like the virtual golf outings that I've been talking about over the past several episodes, but also virtual events that I may or may not be attending. The virtual events that are trade shows are you know, not as desirable either. For, I know NAB has been trying to do virtual events, and I don't know where everyone falls in terms of interest in those or not. I know for me, it's sort of like a, oh yeah, so what? 
I mean, there's nothing that I felt so compelled that I would tune in to watch. And I think we're probably getting oversaturated on virtual events. The content really needs to be compelling to get someone to commit. And perhaps it's because we haven't found the right formula for producing said virtual events. I know these golf outings, the foursome, quote unquote, the golfing foursome that would normally play with the pro, you know, they sign into a Zoom meeting and they spend about a half hour with the golfer. And then they come back at the end of the day and they spend about another hour perhaps with the the golfer and their other uh, invited guests. So for them, the day is a little shorter and it's broken up by some time. I know that trade shows don't always schedule their pieces that way. I know for me, if I were to tune into a virtual event, like a trade show, I don't think I would commit a long chunk of my time in doing so. Again, unless it was very, very compelling. I don't know what the response has been to the NAB virtual trade shows. I was talking to a manufacturer of broadcast equipment, and I was asking him about the NAB virtual trade show. And, you know, his interest level in it was mediocre, lukewarm at best. And I think, again, it's because what really is the compelling content? If it's someone showing me a slide deck and talking, I am not that interested in watching that as a you know live stream or a live virtual event, or maybe even as a video on demand, I might not be that interested in it. I think some of the ones that are workflow-based and they have the people talking about the workflow tend to be more interesting, but without well-produced collateral, supporting materials, visuals, diagrams, you know, checklists, things that would help me understand the scope of the project, again, not as desirable as a viewer. Like anything, you have to make the content interesting and relevant to retain an audience. And I don't care if that's Hollywood-style presentations or a an industry presentation or a product presentation. It all needs to follow the same guidelines. So the Final Cut Pro Creative Summit is something that I've attended in person probably five out of the last six years. It usually takes place in October in California, in Cupertino area. It's Final Cut Pro editors, it's presenters, it's a session with the Final Cut Pro product team. And I've always found it enjoyable. I've, I've met people there that I still communicate with. I like getting face-to-face with the Apple product team. You know, the, the curriculum, the sessions have not always been things that I'm interested in. I've, I've expressed my disappointment to the producers of the Final Cut Pro Summit in some years because I felt the presentations weren't always up to snuff. And if I'm paying money, you know, I'm expecting quality. So this year, they're doing a virtual summit. It's priced interestingly, in, and I think in a good way, or perhaps not. I, 
don't know, everyone's threshold is different. This year, it's a $200 uh, fee, and you get access to, they're saying, a week of live presentations with the ability to watch them for 90 days after. Normally, that's about a $900 uh, in-person three-day event, plus travel and food and things like that. So it's definitely cheaper than doing it um, in person, though I don't know if it's going to be as good. But for $200, I probably will try it out. The problem I think I have, and I haven't announced this yet, is how much time can I commit to the live component? And how is that going to work like with the Apple team? You're going to be able to ask questions. Is it going to be interactive? Is it two-way video? You know, all these things are questions that still have to be determined. But I think that I would give it a try, especially if it's not... I mean, I certainly can't spend eight hours a day for a week in front of a computer doing, you know, live streaming. I just am not able to have that sort of blackout time. And I think a lot of people fall into those categories as well where you just, you know, you can't do it. It's too much. But if it's broken up on, you know, maybe two or three hours a day or an hour a day, I don't know how they're going to do it, but it's supposedly spread over a week, it might be better. And, you know, maybe that's going to be something that I can take into other productions that I'm doing that are quote-unquote virtual. Maybe smaller doses, smaller bites, more flexible scheduling. You know, video on demand is is attractive, right? Maybe you can't make it live. That ability to watch it on demand is is good. So virtual events are unfortunately the norm, but I don't know that it's going to last. I do think that there's going to be a desire for people to get back to a social component of these trade shows, product, community groups, you know, you name it. I I do think at some point there will be people who still desire that. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on in-person events. I'm actually anxious to get back to some in-person events. The Iditarod is back in my universe this week. In fairness, the Iditarod really never gets out of my universe. There's always some email or some task that floats around, you know, not always in my direct peripheral vision, but the Iditarod never really goes away. But this week, I had a conference call with the uh, CEO and the COO and some marketing people and Mr. Greg Heister, the producer of the event. This call is comical to me because it's the same call we have every year. Sometimes the players are a little different about who's in the call, but for the most part, it's, hey, guys, how do we come up with ideas to drive new subscription revenue? And, you know, it always comes back to the same things, compelling content, marketing dollars being sent, you know, refresh the website, make it seem new and improved and better. 
nothing really ever gets done. They don't have, unfortunately, they don't have a budget to do a lot of marketing and they want some magical social media experiment that doesn't cost money that's going to catch fire and, um, you know, generate revenue, which unfortunately, for the most part, is a fairy tale. We kicked around some ideas and we'll see what happens. The question that looms for me is whether or not I will be in Alaska in March to do the race. And I think when I left Alaska this year, I really did feel like I was done. The uh, person who I had interfaced with really from the beginning had told me they were done. They were moving on. Uh, I thought for sure that was an accurate statement. It shows you that I'm not a good judge of that person's character because that person's still involved. And here I am still talking about coming back. So not sure what that says, but this year it does open the door where because of the equipment investment I've made with this Intenor, you know, uh, system, which is basically like a server, lets me ingest streams from, you know, anywhere, and it's direct point-to-point, no cloud service, uh, I could do it from here. And there are some benefits to doing it from here. It, it saves time and money are the two biggest Uh, reasons to do it here. But there's also the benefit of a time zone difference, four hours from New York to Alaska. And, you know, that really manifests itself because the most of the Iditarod race happens at night, which with the four hour plus time zone difference in New York, middle of the night in Alaska is 6 a.m. here. And that's actually a benefit because I've been woken up out of bed many times in Alaska to get up and do something with a stream, which is not really that enjoyable for me, I'll be honest. But, um, you know, 6 a.m., I'm usually a ball of fire. Having that time zone difference, I think, would actually be a benefit. And I could run split shifts uh, with the way I've designed the control rooms, so that is to be determined, but I do hold out some hope that I may not need to be in state to do it. And again, has nothing to do with the uh, lovely state of Alaska, or even the people that I work with in the lovely state of Alaska. It's just the overall logistics and the grind, and, and I am not a fan of Nome, Alaska, for many reasons, which you can go back and listen to. But That's on my radar again. Once again, the Iditarod has promoted itself front and center into my universe. For me, otherwise, this week, I am taking my hardware, my Intenor hardware on the road. I am going into what I would call the belly of the beast. I am taking my equipment into the control room of the other AV integrator on my golf projects, and I'm going to try and reduce the latency between the uh, vMix call that they're using from an iPad, which is carrying the audio from said golfers, uh, and be able to get it closer in time with my Steadicam, which is coming through my 
bonded cellular backpack. So in, in the interest of team effort and improving the product for the client, I am bringing my stuff to the control room. We're going to try it out on Monday. We're going to see if we can get it closer in time and perhaps make that work better. It does free up some of my time instead of managing the stream from my my studio, my control room. I will now uh, be able to do that from anywhere from the cloud. But I am going to get back on the road. I'm not sure if I'm excited or not about that prospect, but I do have two or three trips now in the next month, being the month of November, where I have to get, I'm going out to Las Vegas to do an event on site. And I'm going to Atlanta to do another event on site. And then I think in December, I'm going to be out in the San Diego area to do the last of these quote unquote virtual events for the year. So three trips, two before Thanksgiving, one right after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. I did drop off my, uh, my crew at the airport this morning to get to Houston. The airport looked pretty dead uh, from a business traveler standpoint. From a non-business traveler standpoint, the airport looked busier than I anticipated, especially for an early Saturday morning uh, drop-off. There were more people than I thought traveling. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I know the media is trying to, you know, make it seem like it's very safe to fly. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I, I think it's pretty safe if you're being diligent about your personal uh, safety. You take it for what it's worth. I need to do what I need to do to work and to make a living and to handle these events for the client. So that's why I'm getting on the road. I'm not flying at all for leisure at this point in time. So that's it for this week in production. Thanks for listening. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on this week in production. Thanks for listening.